Good morning and welcome to Flat Out Recovery. Morning, James. Good morning. And how's our week? My week's been good, man. It's been all right. Yeah, all sorts going on. Busy in the head and busy in the physical as well. Just doing my usual stuff, you know, keeping up to a routine and gym, meetings, work, and that's it. And then just trying to organise what's going on in my frazzled brain as well. Discontented, irritable, and what's the other one? There's another one, isn't there? Rest. Yeah, that one, restless. I think it's all to do with connection and connecting. Because I've moved into my own place, as you're aware. So you haven't got housemates to moan at? I haven't got housemates to moan at. I've only got me to moan at. And I don't like moaning at myself because I feel like I'm doing everything right. But I'm not. So I've started to up my... What would life be if we did everything right? None of us do, do we? I say everything right, but it's just about doing it in the first place. So there's lots of stuff that... I think I suffer with this illness to the point where I need to have a high dose of recovery in my life to be able to level my head throughout the day, each and every day. You know, you get to a milestone in your recovery. Well, I've, I've got to a milestone in my recovery, and I thought, oh, okay. So, and suddenly, the disease of addiction is not really that powerful anymore, and it's just something that I'm just dealing with on the side. And then, when in actual fact, as it says in the book, it's a progressive illness, and it will be with you forever, and it should be at the forefront of your mind. So, I've been working on a little bit of that this week. And I think over time, at certain points, we need more meetings or more recovery work than others as long as i'm always saying well i need this in my life but it may vary as to how much i need then that's fine and that's it isn't it it's just that simple little thing but my head just doesn't do simple little things what you've just said is absolutely spot on sometimes you need more sometimes you don't need as much but that little thing itself just didn't click into my head it's like i've got to have a routine i've got to be doing this amount of meetings it's, there's no flexibility in there and there's no room for change and and i need to make room for change and not be so robust because i'm literally like a robot i get up and i know mm. exactly what i will be doing i don't think there's anything wrong about having a strict routine i don't think there's anything wrong about being almost automatic about it in the Sometimes we need that routine in order to access life, as it were. Yeah, of course. And it's like getting those little things done. But you know what? With OCD as well, you know, these little things are very much like, oh, my love, I've got to do this and I'm going to do that. And that's how it plays. And this water needs filling up in this jug. And that's it's quite, it's just hectic anyway. So. Well, I spent a couple of days trying to plan my way around the bus strike. And now they've changed the bus strike. Can't so you? I've gone and done all this planning because obviously I'm here during the week and I'm directing a play at the moment as well. And I've done all this planning and it's been very inconvenient that they put the bus strike on Thursday. Uh-huh. But I support them striking entirely so I just thought, well, I'll get around it. I'll find a way of getting around it. And then they've changed it. Now really, they ought to have at least asked me yeah, but the thing when you... they should change it. To, yeah, but we know it would what... be convenient to me if they actually started striking on the 2nd of April. That would really suit me. So why right. don't they ask? Well, you know what buses are like. They never stick to the schedule, do they? They're never on time. So what's you not when you're getting an 11 and a 17. Yeah. Don't even go there with the number 11. I won't go into bus state again. <laughs> Aaron, what's it like being recently out of treatment? That's a good one. Just trying to find a balance, really, of what to do. Just trying to use my time wisely. It's all a bit new, being clean. 
Yeah. And then sort of not wanting to look too far ahead in the future, but having to look into the future just to plan what I would like to do. All those feelings are still there. Mm-hmm. Like I honestly didn't want to come today. So I was supposed to be coming with another guy and he, his car broke and I was like, oh, I've got to go on my own. I got really anxious about it. And yet you got it. Yeah, I dragged myself, yeah. That's <laughs> I've, good. I've got a great sponsor. It's all just a bit new and hard to navigate and, and wondering whether I, what I'm doing is the right thing for the balance. Like I've started boxing, I go bouldering, I've got a mountain bike. I'm trying to get all doing all physical activities and stuff like that, and then maybe just not sitting myself mm. very much, you know. So just wondering whether I'm taking too much on. I've got energy to burn, and that's always not served me well in the past by sitting, you know, sitting there doing yeah, doing nothing. nothing, and then that obsession gets on me, and I can't get rid of it. The only way I mm. learned to get rid of that obsession was to use. I've heard that recently as well, that the obsession itself is just like, you know what, I've just got to do it, even just to get rid of the obsession. Yeah. To yeah, do yeah. it, it's not necessarily the high itself, it's just that it's just going to plague you and it's just going to be there and it's like, I'll give up and it's just, you know what, there, go away obsession, there you go, you've had your fix. You know what, I didn't think of it like that, I haven't thought of it like that before and you know, you hear new things in meetings all the time and... Like I say, I heard that recently and I thought, bloody hell, to be in a situation where you're using just to get rid of the obsession itself is yeah. just madness, absolute yeah, yeah. madness. The last couple of years were like that, really. I mean, I withdrew off methadone was it last year or the year before, and it was just, it kept coming on me, the obsession to use crack. And yeah. I, obviously, I smoked heroin to come down off the crack. Mm. So I was just smashing myself to bits, man. And uh, like every time something would come up, like something to do with my son or mm-hmm. something from my past or whatever, it just I'd just be like, well, yeah, give up to it, sort of, you know, surrendered yeah. to the to the the obsession, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is this your first time that you've been through into a rehab centre? Through yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, it's brand new then. What you've said before about you know your feelings about. What am I doing? Where am I going to go? Not projecting, but feel like you need to be looking into the future as well at the same time. There's a lot of contradictions involved in recovery sometimes. It's trying to balance it. And it's, again, even the balancing part that you said, it's all new to you and it's almost like you're learning to live again. So, but and I think what you're describing is absolutely normal for somebody who's first time gone through treatment and experiencing life sober and having to navigate life sober. I remember when I came out of the treatment centre, my first visit, I decided to go into Birmingham City Centre and I was absolutely, <laughs> my head fell off. Oh, I didn't understand what was going on. It was so surreal, all these people, and I'm like, I don't know, it was just like being reborn and it was frightening and actually come back, back to get back to my dry house as quickly as possible. I couldn't even get out of the shop. Yeah. I was having anxiety attacks and I was picking up all these clothes which I didn't really want but I thought it gives me something to do in the shop. I ended up buying loads of clothes and so I feel that you're in a nice position because you've got everything to go for and give it a go and it's nice because I remember like I said being in that position myself although it was daunting at the same time I do recall it being quite exciting as well there was an element of excitement in there you know I'm starting a new life I'm doing this I'm going to crack on with it and just do and there is going to be an element of pain in there but 
it's not going to be as painful as when you are using and don't want to use. Yeah, yeah. If I, not that I should give advice, my advice would be to take each day as it comes. Not to project about the future, because the future will sort itself out. Because you know what, staying sober and clean is one of the biggest things that you can do to improve your life. So by you staying sober, you'll find opportunities will come your way instead of you having to go out and search and you having to lay the groundwork down too much and worry about the future. Because it's like a degree in sobriety. You know, you've got a degree in drugs and alcohol. You know all about the ups and downs. And now you, to be sober, life will automatically present you with opportunities and it will show you the way. You'll be able to see clearly. If you call that fast, I don't know. But just it is difficult, the initial period, because even, I, mean, I think it was the fourth or fifth time when I came through five and a half years ago, and I still came out with this sense of thinking, oh, have I done it right? Yeah. And there's still this idea that there's some magic way of doing it right, mm. but there isn't. And there's all sorts of things that we don't expect that suddenly come banging at me as soon as I've got off the booze. Mm. And that massive shift in energy levels that you're talking about, Aaron, it's quite common for people to come off hard drugs, come off alcohol or whatever the poison was and suddenly be left with this energy they don't know what to do with mm. and as a practicality yeah, you do have to burn it off if it's there, you've got to be mindful that that doesn't develop into a gym obsession or whatever, but you have got to burn it off to some degree because it's, it's energy that wasn't there when you were at the dog end of your drinking and using and it's important that you recognise stuff like that when it comes. And it might be different for you than for the guy in the next room yeah. or the yeah. next house. Mm. There might be someone whose reaction to coming down, coming off, is that they don't do anything for three months because they're just sat there like a stunned rabbit. And it's really important to engage with those things that aren't necessarily easy. And understanding that actually it's quite usual to be thinking, oh shit, I've got to get on a bus oh my god this is a disaster this is the worst thing that's ever happened mm. then getting back home later thinking what the fuck was i worrying about why am i getting completely paranoid and completely stressed out over something so basic this is all gonna happen in those first few weeks few months because it's like being a newborn lamb and all this stuff that most people just seem to know how to do those of us who've spent 10 20 30 40 years drinking and drugging ourselves to bits we don't necessarily know how to do it. and also more importantly we don't know how to do it clean and sober and everything gets redone as it were and every experience is reworked because looking at it through a clean and sober lens you're looking at something very different to what you were looking at when you were off your head and over time of course that shift stuff that I found extremely difficult five years ago doesn't seem difficult now and yet I still have my moments. I can't do that. And eventually it's, why can't I do that? Oh, I know why I can't do that. Maybe it's because I can't be asked. Maybe it's because I'm just trying to make excuses because it's somewhere I don't really want to go. And I think whatever treatment process we go through, and there are many, we're still left with ourselves when we leave them. And it's a question of how do I build on that treatment process? Because all that treatment process does really is open the door for me. I think I can get myself back into the world and finding things to do that are productive. What you said about the sitting with yourself, I've not heard many people coming through this process say quite confidently that they're sitting with themselves after 12, 13 weeks 
that really does take time and it can be surreal when you start doing it thinking did i just do that did i just sit down for 20 minutes and not do anything and not get completely stressed out and did i actually manage to sit down and just watch the telly for half an hour did i manage to do this without pacing around the room did i manage to go shopping without rushing round aldi like a crazed elephant in a china shop all these simple things that suddenly you start doing and you start managing them in a way that you never expected to and i don't think there was ever necessarily a right answer no and the thing is it's your primary purpose is to stay clean isn't it and if you find that you're doing something that will jeopardize that then don't do it i found listening to my conscience yeah more you get that gut feeling about certain things. I was going to go to a rave with some friends of mine that are also in recovery. Mm-hmm. I haven't been to a rave for years, but I did use it at raves and stuff like that mm-hmm. before I got into the harder stuff. I did it quite impulsively, like getting the ticket and stuff. And yeah. then I just I thought my gut feeling was just, no, this doesn't feel right. So I just <laughs> said, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go. I'm only like four months clean. I don't think being around a load of people aren't substances yeah, yeah, yeah you know and, and you got to talk to people you know you can't just sort of keep yourself in a little bubble in a massive rave like. yeah well it's discovering that we've got one as yeah, well isn't yeah. it when you get into recovery you discover that actually hang on i do know this stuff i just suppressed it for 30 years and yeah actually that's telling me that i'm not gonna do that no i'm not gonna do it because it's obviously a bloody stupid idea <laughs> And I might not see it until two days later that my conscience is right and that it was a bloody stupid idea. But the thing I find with conscience, I get this sense of unease about something. Yeah. I get this uncertainty. And on that uncertainty, I then get this feeling of, no, I shouldn't be doing that, should I? There's times when you don't listen, though, I'm sure. Like with me, I, I know sometimes. I'm not going to go into how many times I don't could listen. Be... <laughs> the three things the people places and things and i know that something in there saying red flag and i'm like i can see the red flag but i don't want to see it and i'm not going to see it and then i'll get burnt and i'm like well when the seal can't see it and he's just crazy and then that's insanity isn't it sometimes it's just like you can't see the what's it the wood through the trees or whatever it is mm, yeah. and i suppose it's trying to cling on to things as well and making stuff work when your instincts are telling you no it ain't gonna work but when you were talking about the rave then I was thinking about the amount of times I've been asked to go to a rave or something and I won't go because I went to waves for the feeling that I got when I was on the drugs at the raves that's why I went and the music was brilliant and everything was great and I don't go to them places I have to say to people look I went there to take drugs and without drugs I don't want to go there simple as that and there is an element of a bit of a fear in there as well you know like me standing there sober like what am I doing here and can I actually dance sober and all that kind of stuff but I don't think I could dance when I was off my face to be honest with you (laughs) you know what I didn't care too much but I used to think people was like really in awe of my dancing because it's a stand <laughs> they used to stand around me in a circle and standing around and say, what's I, wrong with him i realized they're they're trying to avoid the cigarette burns because i'm dancing with a fag in the back in the day he's just working the group back in the day and they're just trying to like fuck now this one's off his tits man <laughs> he's going into cardiac arrest in a minute them things don't excite me anymore 
Well, not to say that I'm boring. Well, that might probably be if I am boring. But it is about motives, though, isn't it? It's about why we're going there. This is like sort of like a new beginning, a new life. Yeah, yeah. That's my old life. Mm. Yeah. I'm heavily into music, but I get what you're saying. I was, you know, there's, there's no rave I went to. Mm. I started going to raves when I was 16. I was a good 20 years. You know? I wasn't there to listen to music. I was there to face it's a package isn't it you get the yeah. music you get the drugs whatever rave you're going to i still look back and i do recall having good times there and i won't deny that especially some of the field ones and stuff with the fairs and everything but i recall towards the end of my raves not being able to go home from the rave and i'd be in other people's houses and i'd be over the weekends and before you knew it i used to think i was paranoid and people wanted me gone and now looking back and I'm thinking actually they probably did want me gone because I just wouldn't stop I wouldn't do that now because it was messy it was dangerous it was it was just all sorts of grime because there's only certain time throughout that wave that I actually enjoyed it and then after whatever I'm taking starts to not have an effect on me anymore and I'm just doing it anyway it's just it's not nice I'll just sit at home and watch my uh, aliens on TV now my UFOs into <laughs> <laughs> UFOs <laughs> well, we do change the places we go to. It's like changing our company as well. Yeah. You know, I change the company I keep and I change the places I go to. And I will sometimes ask myself, why am I going to this place? What's the actual reason? And if the reason is I'm going to meet someone and it happens to be in a pub, then that isn't anything to primarily worry about. Yeah. But if I'm just going to the pub under the pretext of claiming that I'm going to watch the football, yeah. then that will be a bit different. Yeah. Because that's me actually taking something from the old life and trying to inject it into the new. And if I do that, I'm putting myself in a risky situation. And I think this thing of going with people, even if I'm going with people who I know are in recovery, I still have my exit strategies. I still have my way out. Mm -hmm. And something like a rave would be, understandably, hang on, why? But there are certain other things that I would think, well, oh yeah, maybe I'll drop in, but I'll just... I'll make my own way there, I'll drop in for a while, get the lie of the land and then decide because I want to give myself options rather than ending up in a scenario where I have none. Well, I went to the Harvester the other day, pub. I've been there a few times now and it's for the carvery. I love my carveries. This particular one, you can stand at the bar for your Red Bull or whatever, your soft drink or something like that. Just gaze at all the shots and then in my, I play a little story in my head about how if I was to have one of those drinks, I don't desire what the drink, but if, and I play the little story and I think I'll have one of them, but before I've left the bar, I'll say to the barman, can I have two or three of those, please? Can I play this along? And then it's just crazy, man. I don't, it's just, I'm, I'm not tormenting myself either, because it's just like, it doesn't go down well. I'm watching the people next to me ordering a glass of wine or a pint, and this, I'd probably just be perched at the bar for half an hour before I managed to take my drinks my round back to the table so so busy up there man but I'm plastered before I've got back the smell doesn't bother me anymore it used to my early doors if I went into a licensed premises I could smell it like it had been magnified 2,000 times and then eventually it, it becomes a neutral thing you know if it's there in front of someone else it doesn't mean much to me now but it's taken a long time and mm. it's taken a lot of work to get to that. And that was my choosing not to engage with those things to begin with. And therefore now I've got some kind of judgment, which is, okay, I'm not gonna go and stay for that because all it is is people getting pissed. 
yeah but i will stay for that because there's a quiz or because there's this or because there's that because that's what i'm there for and i'm not there for the drink i had it with my mum's wedding i felt like i was doing something completely wrong and gross 10 o'clock on the night i mean i've managed to last till 10 and i went to my room and i thought i'm gonna get slandered for this slandered to my mum's wedding night and i'm going to bed at 10 o'clock so, no she was absolutely fine she, as long as you're all right that's fine i mean the state of them in the morning i was looking at them i was like you know <laughs> don't miss that i walk around birmingham and you can smell weed everywhere so yeah. I, I smoke weed quarter of a century and i still find the smell really like quite appealing you think that sticks with you now because two years later i'm the same i can still smell it like, mm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i smoke weed throughout the whole of my drinking and drug career mm. From 14 till I stopped two and a half years ago and it's quite mad because I just stopped the weed wasn't because for me it was stopping the drink and the rest had to be stopped anyway and I didn't find it a massive problem if money's with you stopping it but I do smell it because there's times where I put other things down but then I'd be just constantly smoking smoking the weed yeah just I mean a lot I get through like half an ounce in like four days I think it's um, just constantly smoking when it was just that, it was really hard to stop. Really? But when, say, if I got back onto the hard stuff, like crack and heroin, I wouldn't even want weed anyway. It was just how it happened, how, the, the time that I stopped, that it just happened to fall, that I'd used weed, and then it had been like a couple of days, and then I'd used crack and heroin. Yeah. So it's like coming out of that, come down from the crack and heroin. The last time I used was like a couple of days long. Yeah, I smashed myself to bits, so it was just like the timing of it mm. that I was able to stop. When I've tried to stop smoking weed in the past, it's horrible. I couldn't do it. I'd always end up using again. Such a habit as well, isn't it? Yeah, wake up in the morning, have a few. I go to the shop, don't I stop. With me, I think I was fortunate in one sense that I couldn't take any drug whatsoever in the end unless I'd had a drink first. So I had a split. Psychosis kicked in massively. So then I realised that, oh, if I have a few drinks before I have this spliff, then I seem to be all right. A lot of other people that used to do that, it didn't, didn't work that way for them, but for me it did. And I was like, you know, same with the cocaine. I had to have alcohol before I touched the, the cocaine. Cracking the heroin, I was already on. I was already pissed all the time then anyway. So I don't know how I'd behave sober taking that stuff. It's just, but usually I'd need to be drinking first, which is why I tackled the drink problem because the rest kind of sorted themselves out. Because if I'm, I can't drink, then there's no way I'm touching anything else anyway. Everyone's journey is different and everyone deals with things in different ways. But I never thought alcohol was a problem for me. With cocaine, like I'd always drink and mm. sort of cocaine and it never drives me. It's made me really anxious. I've never really sort of realised that I was doing that. It may be that alcohol was less of a problem with you because other things got in the way. If I could pick up a drink now, yeah, like I'll be straight onto drugs. And if you were off on it, and the only thing available to you was alcohol, you would just yeah, yeah. It's a substance, and like coming into the rooms and stuff, it's really made me. It's really opened my eyes to that stuff. I think we very rapidly start seeing everything from the other side, mm. which can look very, very confusing because all these things that I've done for thirty years are suddenly not. Everything I've perceived for 30 years through an alcoholic lens is suddenly not. And everyday tasks suddenly become something different. 
my perspectives are all shot all over the place and I have to gradually find them again on all the things that I used to do as opposed to the things I now I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily understand that this is bad for me or this is good for me mm -hmm. or whatever. And I just have to stick in the fucking seat and think, please just keep me going. Because I think when we reach the point of Armageddon with the actual substances, mm -hmm. we don't know the wood for the trees anyway. We don't know which way we're walking. We don't know what we're looking at. Mm -hmm. And of course, it's completely disconcerting then to land in, in a rehab situation and be expected to talk about it. Mm -hmm. We don't know what the root of our drinking and using is. We probably only really know what was the last thing we, we drank or used. Oh yeah, it's not until you go into places like a treatment centre or something like that and you start to look at yourself and you start to see clearly about what's been going on in your past. And you and sometimes you know you get revelations and you think you know yeah I've done that because I struggled to fit in or struggled to be in certain circles and I was presented with certain circles that I had to be associated because that's all there was at the time and yeah. it's just madness isn't it and I'm for all this keep it simple but it's kind of like taking a golf ball apart isn't it it's like you break it and you get the rubber and it's just gradually untangling it all Mm. And the primary purpose, really, from my perspective, of that eight, twelve, whatever many weeks it is in treatment, is to start that process. Start it, yeah. Get and I just keep following it once it's started, and let it show me eventually. Because mm. in in the end, if I'm still walking forwards, it will show me. Whereas if I'm constantly battling it, I know where I'm going back. Right, dilemma time. You're refused a job on the grounds of your past associated with alcohol, drugs and criminality. Do you A, move on to the next application, B, burn the company's premises down, C, start a smear campaign on Twitter directed against the person who interviewed you, D, go back the next day and cause a scene, or E, go and get drunk. Oh. Back in the day, I just go and get pissed. I was pissed before as soon as I looked. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Me too. I remember going to an interview once and then going to the pub straight afterwards and drinking. I hadn't drank for three days before because I wanted a clear head. So I was obviously heavily drinking at that time. Did you get I was the able to stop for a few. No, I didn't. I got notified that I didn't get the job while I was still in the pub. <laughs> and right at the end on the way home, I recall calling and beyond belief, John to say, well, what is the reason? You're not even telling me why this happened. And I was like, having <coughs> a big, massive debate on that. So, yeah. Didn't get the job, bro. I don't know. Borrow the place down. No. <laughs> Twitter them. <laughs> I've been quite deliberate on that because my initial response to things like that, because I have certain types of thought process, is I immediately think I want to burn them down or I want to start a campaign on Twitter. Yeah. But unlike the way I used to start following things through way back when, just putting that little stop gap in means that, no, okay, no, I'm not going to burn them down. No, I'm not going to tell them what I really think. I don't need to. And actually, if they don't want to employ me because of that, that's their fucking shit, not mine. Oh, yeah, definitely. Even if you've got the job, and yeah, I wouldn't want to work for a company like that anyway. Yeah. No. no, absolutely. That would run through my head. Oh, yeah, I want to burn the place down. You either get one way or the other way, mate. You either internalise everything, and then I go and get smashed. Yeah. Or it would just be a massive scene. Yeah. I'm very like polarised with, with my yeah. behaviour sometimes. The thing is, that's what the substances do to us. 
it's either yeah internalize and go and go and get off my face or I externalize it all in an unreasonable way and that's certainly what alcohol was teaching me in terms of how I dealt with other people and now I wouldn't want to work for a company that were putting a label on me because of those past things I wouldn't want a label on me that the boss is aware of thinking oh well you better watch him because if he ever does get drunk you'll have to sack him it'd make you paranoid wouldn't it of course it would you know you've only just got the job and you're already being watched over so and it's implying that you're somehow deficient because of that yeah or somehow lacking because of that when actually in recovery we're very much the opposite of what we were because we're actually a damn sight more efficient and a damn sight more useful as human beings now we're off the drinking drug well that's it that they do say in the meetings I'm a grateful recovering addict or a grateful alcoholic the reason why they say that is because they've had a lot more life lessons you know what I mean and they've been through a lot they've done a lot of work on themselves as well you know when you're in recovery you work a lot on yourself and you're more aware than your, your Joe Blogs out there you, you know your earthlings if you like that because you have to be and you know the way we talk to people the way we perceive what people are saying to us you know we're thinking all about this stuff all the time we're more conscious about our surroundings I'm not saying earthlings or non-alcoholics and non-addicts aren't I'm just saying it's, it is slightly different sometimes I'll go and visit family my non-addict families and my non-alcoholic family and I sometimes sit there and think yeah god you don't know what you're saying and then my program starts working in my head and I'm thinking you need to sort yourself out and I'm like really they don't need to sort themselves out but I see and hear stuff and it's I'm thinking you should you, they need to be working a program man if everybody worked a program it'd be brilliant wouldn't it unfortunately not everybody's going to do what you've decided they want to do right <laughs> now. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. the world doesn't work that way <laughs> But you can see when someone's having a dig at someone and they think they're getting away with it, but I can see plain as day. It's like, fucking hell, man. He knows what you're talking about there when you're slating it. Yeah, we're more aware, more conscious, so... Yeah, and I think with particularly contributing to the work thing, I think life experiences a lot. Mm. Because going through alcohol and drugs the way that we do gives us a hell of a lot of life experience. We don't even realise it. I didn't even realise how much until I was a few months in to recovery. Mm -hmm. How much I knew about what makes people tick and how much of that was informed by the fact that I'd been a hopeless drunk mm -hmm. and had then got through the other side mm -hmm. and about how a lot of that was experiential because I'd encountered so much shitty behaviour and so much deviousness and manipulation. I've been guilty of some of it myself, but I had a total understanding of the way that worked mm -hmm. in a way that you wouldn't have if you hadn't had those experiences. Oh, of course. It's like saying, you know, you've, you've got a doctorate in drinking drugs. You've also got a doctorate in the dark side of human behavior, yeah. I think. Yeah, it teaches you a lot about life in certain situations. Yeah. You know is a dark places and dark people and why yeah. people do the awful yeah. things that they do mm -hmm. it's like more forgiveness as well isn't there and acceptance of other people forgiveness behavior. is critical for me I mean there's still a couple of people on my list that I will never forgive I will openly admit that nothing is going to make me forgive those people it's a very selfish thing sometimes isn't it you're forgiving them not for their sake but for your own sake you help others, but not really to help them, you're helping yourself, aren't you? 
that's what they say but the act itself is good enough if you want to sit with those resentments Richard <laughs> I've, I've agreed that I'm not going to kill them that's enough that's fair enough for now I don't think you have to give because I had a very elaborate scheme at one time it obviously didn't get followed I through I would not have ever have liked to be on the wrong side of you Richard um, for some reason or meek and innocence on the outside <laughs> oh don't be fooled mm, I'm not. There's, there's nothing innocent about me I ain't we am not absolutely not I think it is important that the way that we address our past misdemeanours with other people once we are clean and sober because if I'm going for a job interview I've got to make a decision if that question arises I've got to make a decision on doing an application there are times where it's not relevant to mention it mm -hmm. and I'm not going to mention it if I don't have to if I think these people don't need to know they'll never know they'll never be any the wiser mm -hmm. as long as I don't turn up at work pissed but then if I turn up at work pissed, I'm the same as anyone else doing it, as ordinary Joe, who's got no alcoholic tendencies whatsoever. Mm -hmm. He has some seismic life event, and as a result, he comes to work pissed. It's more about me making rational judgments about what I re reveal to other people. Because we get in this environment where we're surrounded by other people in recovery, and we know we can say some of the things that you just wouldn't say to normies. Yeah. Like thinking, I'm going to burn the building down that's quite normal for us to say with us in this room yeah. but if there was a normie in the room they'd think what you can't think like that also not if you do but I think it is a choice that we have to make you know am I going to disclose this mm -hmm. and because of the way the world is more often than not I'm going to try not to but this came up in a meeting it was last night actually it said that he went for a job interview and it's the first job interview you've been since with his old boss, his old boss is recovering addict, helped him get clean and stuff, so there was obviously a bit of openness there. But he said he went for this job interview and he completely owned his addiction. Yeah. It turned out really well. Yeah. yeah. In some circumstances, it would be a massive advantage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not just in rehab. There are other sectors where it will be a massive advantage. Of course, mm. yeah, being open and honest in the first place. But there are certain places where it would not be an advantage. No. And I think it's about knowing that line, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Was you at a CA meeting yesterday? I was indeed. Oh, it was probably at the same meeting then. Hancock Spring? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was at that meeting too. I was thinking, was there someone shared that in the meeting yesterday? I heard that yesterday as well. Yeah. Yeah, I'll get it back. Yeah. <laughs> well. When Ronnie's finished advertising where he was last <laughs> night. Yeah, I was there. Anyway, we can. We've got. I, do, I don't see a problem with advertising when you've been to a meeting. No, not at all. I didn't actually think that. Anyway, I'm not mentioning who was there. And, and I think it's important that we hear those perspectives as well when we're looking at things like work or we're looking at anything that involves people that might not understand where we've come from. That in some circumstances it can be a real winner to say where you've been and what you've done and, and all that mm -hmm. and the fact you've come out the other side in other circumstances you can get the and oh no because he's probably lying and he'll probably only go and get drunk again because yeah. the world doesn't understand in general does it I think for me I'm because I'm so much more content with my new life and I've got no 
real regrets and stuff like that and I want to sell me as a person unfortunately my baggage comes with me I think subject to the job I'm going for I ain't going to go to a, a, you know the search job but if in which case I wouldn't go for that job anyway but I'd like to be working in an environment where people are it's probably in an environment where people are being looked after and helped so you're helping others and then obviously if I've come from a place where I've worked where people have worked and helped me and it's that kind of ethos isn't it I am what I am like take it or leave it I think mm -hmm. and that maybe I'll be getting a lot of declines for job applications but so be it not if you're looking in certain areas well this is it isn't it and I think I think I, it's that we have to learn to be prudent I enjoy doing my volunteering in recovery I really enjoy it will that last I don't know but so far so good so it's possible that I could work in recovery but and that's definitely a bonus, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I've been there, done that. Got the t-shirt and the hat and the socks and the underwear. <laughs> I couldn't do that full time. Mm. Support work. I couldn't do it full time. There'd be too many times where I'd be thinking, oh, go to the fucking pub then. Or <laughs> stop whining, get off your fucking pity. There pub. is that, isn't yeah. there? There is that yeah, element. But... Th that part of me does not want to work in support work all the time. One of the reasons why I like doing this because we can talk about it all, but it's not actually therapy. You know, I suppose you'd be a bit more sympathetic to people that are just brand new into recovery, you know? Oh, God, I mean? yeah. So It's just I don't think I can put up with it every day of the week. Every yeah. day of the week? No. Sometimes, you know, and I'm, I'm hearing people who have got, you know, for my brother, for example, you know, he's in the madness at the minute. He got two years clean, got himself a girlfriend, and that didn't work out. And now he's drinking, and he's been drinking for a year and a half, and he knows there's a solution. Mm. He knows what he needs to do. I can't help it, but I have no real sympathy for him. And, you know, it's the same old thing, and, you know, I'm like, I don't really make that much connection. I've emotionally switched off. I'm there to support him if he needs, and he's will willing to accept the help. I will take him to meetings, I will take him to a rehab, I'll get him booked into him, I'll make sure he gets a detox, I'll go, you know, go to any lengths to help him. But apart from that, that's it, until he's willing to actually say, yeah, I want to stop drinking, because anyone who's got it, more so if someone's got a program or understands the program, understands the process of getting clean, can't tell me that they want to stop drinking and I might be completely wrong here, if you've got the path in front of you and you know there's a way to do it and you know that you can stop if you do this, you know, it's getting... It is cool. awful though, Ronnie, because I've been sat there with a head full of AA and a body full of booze. It's yeah. a horrible place to be. And nobody's not in a nice place. There comes a cracking point, though. I'm waiting for the cracking think, no, point. No, I've got to do this. Yeah, that's... The, that's it's not hit it yet. So until then, I know that it doesn't... 100% want to stop drinking because from my experience for me when I wanted to stop drinking and it is only for me this is but I, I stopped but believe me I put I say I wouldn't even call it a fight you know I wanted to drink and I wanted to drink but unfortunately the more I drank the more it was physically killing me and in the end I thought you know what this fight has to stop because the drink is winning here because I will be dead so that's when I stopped I give up I've also give up a lot of ideas of what I had planned for my future, which was nothing, which was, fuck it, I resigned to life. That's where I was at. I thought, you know, don't want to work anymore. 
don't want no relationships anymore. Couldn't be asked about having my own house anymore. Don't want to live, can't be asked. You know, just giving up on life and just living in a supported accommodation, which was meant to be a dry, you know, HMO, pissed up every day. At the time, I believed I was all right with that. And then these, you know, somebody planted a seed in my head, which was my brother who says, I think you need to go to rehab because I don't want to bury my brother at a young age. And for some reason, that little line stuck in my head and I thought, oh, okay. It probably is a little bit premature me giving up on my life right now. And that was it. And I, unfortunately, or fortunately, whichever way it works, between the time him saying that to me and me being in rehab, I was resuscitated because I damaged myself that much inside. So that all coincided with each other and it was just like clear for me that it's got to be done. Why not try something new? That try came up for me recently with a fellow organisation that I was in and he, he's been round, he's been to like 10 treatment centres. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. He sort of got on my nerves a little bit. You could sort of see his relapse coming. Yeah. But I did, and, and now he's he's gone off and done his thing. He relapsed on some medication. Ended up getting tested and yeah, tested positive. So he went back to where he lives or where he's come from or whatever. And then they've let him back into a, like a wet house. Mm. He's still using, but he's in, he's feeling very sorry for himself. Yeah. It's not that I don't have sympathy for him, because I do I hope that he gets it, and he knows what he, he needs to do. Like, yeah, he, he, I, and I he's not know. doing it. Yeah, yeah, he's not, he's not taking any responsibility for it. Yeah. This is one thing I had to realise, is the bad things that have happened to me in my life are not my responsibility, but I've got responsibility for myself. And Absolutely. And how, how yeah. I react to Definitely, yeah, and that's it, isn't it? And with that wallowing in self-pity, that's what I say my brother's doing. I mean, I know he doesn't listen to this anyway, but if he does, he does. But it's like, don't wallow and be miserable and feel sorry for yourself. If you're going to drink, fucking enjoy it. Don't yeah. cry to me and say, I don't want to this out. Self-pity is such a dangerous thing. People can wallow in self-pity for years before finally goes crack and they think I've got to stop yeah he'll crack one day hopefully he cracks before he's dead that's well that's all we can say really that's all we can say let's hope it actually happens before the mm, yeah it beats the unfortunate him. inevitable mm. well we've done it again we have indeed we've circumnavigated the best part of another hour if you've heard anything today that's resonated with you concerning yourself, your family, your friends, your neighbours, your neighbours... Cats, dogs, aunties, sister, whatever. Cats, dogs, iguanas, local tennis partners... Goldfish. Uh, golf pros, uh, goldfish with plans to travel to the moon, anyone else that you know, if it has resonated with you, then do look for help. There is plenty out there, and not all of it has to be paid for. You can look on Google, you can look for phone numbers... And we're always here at Spice Out Recovery. We are here on Twitter and we're here on Facebook. And with that, it's good night for me and we'll be back next week. Good night, see you soon. Hear you soon, whatever. <laughs>